Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, we have uh, over the last, this is going to be the 24th message on the, the book of Acts here, so, uh, but it's going to be the last one for a while. Matt is going to be speaking next week on Colossians chapter 3, and then we're going to be entering a, a time of, of preparation for Advents and, and all that over the next several weeks through into December. So we'll pick this up again in, in, in January. But uh, one of the things that I've loved about this study through the, the book of Acts, is we see the church as it begins and it develops, as God is doing a work and, and moving in different people's lives, and, and this the vast number of people that we've, be, we've been introduced to. At the start of the book of Acts, we have the 12, dis, 12 disciples, actually 11, because Judas is gone having betrayed Jesus, and then subsequently having killed himself, and so now there's 11, and, and they're like, what's next? And they're like, Jesus, is this the time you're going to set up your kingdom? And and, and Jesus is like, well, you know, that's not for you to concern yourself about. Here's what you're going to do. You are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth as the, the Holy Spirit comes on you in power. And, and uh, if you could bring up that map there, uh, just uh, as we began, they were in the city of Jerusalem, which is right down here, and this is where they began the ministry, and they were there for, for a fairly long time. They, they were talking with people about Jesus. Uh, Peter becomes, as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches to people, and, and 3,000 people come to, to Jesus on the day of Pentecost, and, and they continue to tell others. They go to the temple, and they're speaking about Jesus, and Eventually, they face opposition, and, and uh, they, go, they get thrown in jail, and then they get out of jail, and the opposition grows so strong at one point that Stephen, one of the disciples, is, well, he's killed. He's stoned to death. And because of that moment, a, a great persecution broke out against the followers of Jesus. And it says they spread out because of this persecution to Judea and Samaria, which is which would be uh, basically this area right around here is where it spreads out to. Uh, the ministry is expanding even because of uh, the persecution they felt. Uh, eventually, uh, the ministry moves up to the, the coast to the north there uh, in a town called Antioch. You can see it's that this first uh, town at the top of that first arrow there. Paul goes there after he comes to Jesus, and, and he begins a ministry there. They begin talking to people. Uh, Barnabas is involved with them, and then they move on from there. And as we've gotten to chapter 18, we are now in about A.D. 52. Uh, Jesus died in about 30 A.D., and so we're about 22 years past uh, his death and his resurrection as an ascension. And, and it spread all the way through to uh, this region of the Achaia Peninsula. This is moving. Jesus has called them, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what we're seeing, that's happening. 
that continues to grow and expand. And, and how it expands is, is just one of the wonders of this whole story because at the outset, we have the 11 disciples and then they bring a 12th one in to take Judas's place. But after a while, we don't hear any of their names anymore. The last one of them we hear about is Peter and, and he's now off the scene. These are the great leaders of the church, but other people are taking the lead in bringing the gospel to different people. Which brings us to our text today, which is in Acts chapter 18. Paul has just been in Athens, and, and so go back there one more time there, Betty Lou. To that map, please. Um, so Athens is, is right at the, the bottom of the, the Caiaphas Peninsula, the peninsula there. And then he moves to Athens, and we're going to see him moving straight over to Corinth there, not very far away as this message continues. So Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Achilla, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every, every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my, own, my responsibility. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be, mis it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, Settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Paul stayed in, on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Achilla. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centra because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted, and, went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, 
A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So again, we're, we're seeing the development of the church here as it goes. And one of the, the joys of being able to look at this and, and ponder it is, is this gives us indications of what God does. And, and it gives us pictures on, on a, what our brothers and sisters endured on our behalf. Uh, one of the things that I think we see throughout this, and we've seen it again and again, that oftentimes as this gospel, this message of life goes from place to place, there are many people who receive it and open their arms to this. But then there's others who are opposed to it, and, and uh, sometimes the opposition gets, gets pretty strident. We've seen believers of the Lord Jesus get killed. We've seen them beaten and flogged and thrown in jail. And, and these are some of the difficulties or setbacks that we've seen. And, and again, we're seeing setbacks even in this passage here. The gospel goes forward, but setbacks happen. Uh, we were introduced to Priscilla and Aquila here, a husband and wife team. And they come into Corinth and meet Paul there. And the instrument that got them to Corinth was an ejection from Italy, from Rome in particular, by the Emperor Claudius. Some of the questions about the Jews and some concerns about them had him just kick all of them out. And you must, if you're Jewish, you must be gone. And, and so for Priscilla and Aquila, undoubtedly, they would look at this, well, this is not good. This is not something we wanted to happen. But, but in doing so, here they are now introduced to Paul. Paul, who is raised as a Jew and, and a great instructor of the law because of his Pharisee training, he, having come to faith in Jesus, is able to take that great wealth of knowledge he had and be able to put all the pieces together. When he comes to faith in Jesus, he says, oh, here's how all this begins to fit together. And he, over the years that he's come to faith and, and been talking with people, he is able to explain how all this fits together. And so for Priscilla and Aquila, they, they begin to work with him and, and talk with him and, and hear about this. It says they work together. Um, Paul, as, as our previous passage said, talked about, he, uh, he got kicked out of Thessalon Thessalonica and then went to Berea and then had to leave there for fear for his life. And so that found himself in Athens and, and was waiting for, for Timothy and Silas to come join him. Meanwhile... Uh, he's got to make some living as he's going on. And so he meets up, and there's Priscilla and Aquila. They have a tent-making business. Well, he, this is something that he does as well. And he begins to work with them. Uh, it's interesting, the dynamics, when we work some, with someone. Uh, many of you have worked on different job sites with people, and you know what it means to work alongside someone. Uh, I've worked in factories. I've worked in, in restaurants and, and in various places. And, and as you work with people, 
Well, you just get to know them. I mean, you're with them eight hours a day. Sometimes you spend more time with them than some of your family members or your neighbors. And you get to know who they are. You see how they respond in different, re- in different circumstances. Sometimes uh, they respond well, sometimes not. You get to know at least a piece of their character. And, and you talk about your life. And uh, for Paul and, and Priscilla and Aquila, they, as they talk about their Jewish heritage and this Jesus... Uh, they're able to, to cover some deep things. And then as Paul goes to the Sabbath each week after week and, and telling people about how Jesus is the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah that they were waiting for, and Priscilla and Aquila become part of this, uh, their setback leads to them discovering more about who God is and how Jesus fulfills God's mission. The advances happen even despite the setbacks. In fact, sometimes the setbacks are the things that cause advantages or the advances in the gospel. We saw that when, when Stephen was killed, that, that part of the call was for the church, the, the disciples, to be the witnesses in Jerusalem, Judah, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, how do they get out of Jerusalem It's the persecution that gets them there. And we see all kinds of testimonies about the gospel going forth. The advances sometimes are set up by the setbacks. Amazing the way that God works sometimes. Well, we see in this story as well, uh, some setbacks as well. The, as he goes into the synagogue, some of the Jews, not wanting to hear about this Jesus, not wanting to deal with the fact that the Messiah is crucified, it would have blown their minds that that, that would be the circumstances that rescues them, become abusive. And, and Paul's like, you know what? Enough of you. And, and he shakes off his clothes, a symbol of I'll have nothing to do with you. And from now on, I'm going to preach to non-Jews. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And he goes next door to the synagogue and, and speaks with Titius Justice there. And, and then, in some strange twist of fate, of the Lord's work, the Spirit's moving, the person who was a ruler of that synagogue, he came to faith. And his whole household and many people came to faith as Paul moves out of the synagogue and a ministry at large. And as the story goes on, he spends uh, uh, over a year and a half ministering in that place. And the advances happen despite the setbacks. And in sometimes because of the setbacks, God's work goes forward. Uh, it's instructive for us, I think, because often when we face setbacks in our lives, we're wondering, God, what is going on here? Why is this okay? I don't want to have to face these things. Uh, losses of relationships or, or loss of a job or, or other hardships or difficulties, sick, sicknesses and other things. Like, God, this is not fair. And yet, oftentimes, in the midst of difficult things, we see God show up in new and different ways that we had not yet expected. Well, as this story goes on, Paul has been preaching and he's talking with people and all of a sudden he gets a vision. This is not the first time in the book of Acts that we've seen visions or dreams come about. And, and in this particular instant, what Paul receives is, is just a word of encouragement. And, and it starts off with the phrase, do not be afraid. Well, whenever you say do not be afraid, 
in Scripture, it seems like there's always something that it's worthy of being afraid of. You've heard this phrase before, undoubtedly, if you've read Scripture or been in church at all. When, when Jesus' birth is being announced, uh, Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, he is in the temple and he's working and, and ministering, and an angel shows up. And the first thing the angel says to him is, do not be afraid. Why? Because there's an angel and it's got to freak you out. What's going on? This is not human. This is not right. What's going on? Do not be afraid because this is God coming to you. You are not in trouble. You're not about to be judged and, and zapped. This is me communicating. And then later on, that same chapter, Mary, the mother of Jesus, also the same angel comes to her and, and she is amazed to see an angel. And the angel says, do not be afraid for I bring you good news and good tidings and explains to her that she is going to be uh, bringing the, the Messiah to earth. We see it in the Old Testament all the time as well. Do not be afraid. And what's the, what's the message? There is hope. Whatever you're going through, there is hope in this because God is in this. Uh, King David in the Old Testament, when he was at a time he was being pursued by the king of Israel and, and it looked desperate for him and and into that mix, the son of the king, Jonathan, his good friend, comes to him and says, David, do not be afraid. You are going to be king, and my father Saul will not kill you. Jonathan was there to give him hope. And when Paul gets this message, as he's about to go through the things he's about to see, there's a message, do not be afraid. Well, he doesn't have long to have to deal with this because the next passage moves into going before the local civil authority. Gallio, who was the proconsul of that area of, of Achaia, uh, he, he is the one who is a civil authority. And, and as we've seen, the civil authorities have lots of power. Uh, they have power to eject you out of the country, even as Claudius had done to Priscilla and Aquila and many others. But they also have the rule and the sword and the possibility of being killed as punishment or severely flogged is certainly very real. And so now as the Jews bring these accusations that he's doing things that are disrupting our world, likely Galilee would be like, well, we're not, we're not going to have anything that gets back to the emperor here. But as Galileo listens to their concerns, you have this sense that he just like, what are you talking about? This is not about our, our laws or something about morality within our community. This is, this is about your stuff. I don't care. Get out of here. And he kicks them out. And all that could have happened does not. And, and for Paul, there is certainly this sense where he was ready to stand up and take care, care of his own defense, but he doesn't need to say a word. That still, even with this, this, this proconsul who doesn't, isn't necessarily given the picture of him as the, the greatest of guy, uh, later on as Sosthenes, uh, the people turn on him as the ruler of the synagogue and start beating on him, it, it says, Gallio, he doesn't care at all. But what do I care about this Jew being beat up? So it's not because he was a great guy looking for justice necessarily. He just is the instrument to dismiss this entirely. And for Paul, that means freedom to continue to do as that vision told him. 
continue to speak. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And so it continues on. Listening to God. What does God say to us? Can we trust him? One of the ways that we can know God's word is through reading scriptures and and discovering his heart and his message and, and what it's all about. And as we look at things and choices in our lives, part of that is to be able to connect it with what scripture says. What is God calling me to do? Well, that's a much more specific thing, isn't it? And God oftentimes leads us through our scripture readings to be able to see that, but sometimes he speaks to us even this day. We can hear from him. How do we discern that? Well, certainly we listen and compare it to the scripture. God's not going to do something to us and say something to us that's, that's going to be opposed to his scriptures, but what is God calling us specifically to? That's going to take some listening and discerning what is God doing. But as he directs us and guides us, we can trust him. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Uh, That was Paul's message. When our story goes on, and as the story goes on, Paul spends some more time speaking in Corinth, but then he's got in his mind to head back home to the ministry that he began in the city of Antioch in that northern part, north of Jerusalem. And he's going on, and, and on the way, the, the, the trip is going to have to cross the Aegean Sea, so they're going to leave from a town called Centria, and they're going to cross that. They're going to go to Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila join him there, and, and uh, they stay there while Paul moves on. He does go to the synagogue and speaks to them and talks with them about Jesus and how Jesus is the Messiah, but then he leaves them and heads on down to Caesarea. And that's, uh, again, this path here that brings him down to here. And then it says he went up to see the people of God. In, in, the, in the Bible, when it says you're going up, you're going up to Jerusalem. Because <laughs> Jerusalem being on a hill and being the center of spiritual life. So he's going to go up to Jerusalem and then he's going to go down to Antioch. Now, that's a little backwards for us. When we think of going north, we're going up north. And, and, but because Jerusalem is the height in the center, when you leave Jerusalem, you're going down. And so they go down to Antioch and he ministers there. But then the setting changes. We uh, lose track a little bit of Paul and there's Priscilla and Aquila staying in Ephesus and we're introduced to a new character. His name is Apollos. And Apollos is uh, born and raised in Alexandria, which would have been in Egypt, but he knows the word. He's grown up a good, solid Jew, but, and he knows the scriptures, and he's heard of Jesus and is able to accurately talk about Jesus. But as he gets to know Priscilla and Aquila, they explain the way of the Lord even more adequately to him. They're able to train him. Well, how did they know about it? Because they spent time with Paul, and Paul had adequately described to them what this is about. And Apollos begins to shine, and he begins to speak to the people about Jesus, demonstrating again that Jesus is the one who's come to rescue us. And then his desire is to go across that Aegean Sea over to, to Corinth and, and speak there, and, and the brothers encouraged him to do that. Uh, we will read about Apollos, and we will not see much about him other than Paul refers to him in his letter to the Corinthians 
because Paul had some ministry there. Apollos comes after. And, and part, of the, part of the struggle in that letter, that first letter to the Corinthians, is some people are like, you know, we like Paul. He was a good, you know, he really got us started. It's like, oh, you know, Paulus, man, he could really speak. I really like him. And there was these divisions going on within the church over Apollos and Paul, to which Paul says, what are you talking about? It's all about Jesus. It doesn't matter who of us led you where. This is all about Jesus. And Apollos would have said those same things. But Apollos is now beginning to be one of the people who brings the message. We see different people coming up here, don't we? It started off with Peter predominantly. There would have been James and John as well. Well, James has been killed along the way. John we will read about as he goes into captivity uh, on the island of Patmos later on. But other people are beginning to take leadership and, and telling people about Jesus. The way this message spreads is not one person going everywhere, but one person going to another and that person discovering who it is and bringing the message as well. That's something for all of us. Because down the line, some almost 2,000 years from this, we continue to hear this message. We continue to pass it along from person to person, from church to church, from generation to generation. This message advances and proceeds honors. And it's others who are allowed to shine in this. Because God uses us all. Some of us to be leaders, and many of us not. Uh, Larry Osborne, in, in his great book, Spirituality for the Rest of Us, uh, A Contrarian's Guide to Knowing God. It's a great book. Uh, I, I recommend it heartily. But, but in the book, he's talking about, you know, Paul had two really prominent guys he discipled, uh, Timothy and Titus. And certainly we heard about his time with Priscilla and Aquila, and they became leaders as well. And, and there is, there's... Those four, but who else did he have impact on? Was that it? And we would say certainly not. As we read the text here, when he was in Corinth, he led many other people to Jesus, and, 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 and they became followers of his. And, and, and who are they? Uh, Osborne talks about someone, he, 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 he imagines the cobbler of Corinth. Uh, and who is the cobbler of Corinth? Well, there's no description of that in Scripture. But in his mind, certainly there is someone who is a cobbler, one who works on sandals or shoes within that community. And, and this would have been a guy who was not one of the big leaders, but one of those who followed Jesus, who made changes in his life, no longer was going to the temple prostitutes, was no longer being cruel to his family, but becoming someone who followed the Lord and lived it in front of other people. There was nothing noteworthy about him except he had faith. And a lot of, it are, a lot of us are cobblers of Corinth. Nothing's going to be written about us. There's nothing extraordinary about us except that we love and follow the Lord, that our gifts, our talents are, are in, in different directions, and yet still we are fully part of God's kingdom that God wants to use and move in our lives. And who knows what kind of impact we may have on others. God's call for us is, with the gifts and the talents he's given us, is to be faithful to him, 
doesn't mean we make leaders of everyone because not everyone has that gift. That's one of Paul's contentions in both the book of Romans and, and 1 Corinthians. People have different gifts. We have different things to bring to the table. But still, all of us as part of the body have some part to play. And in doing so, have some great part to play in the advance of this message. There's a, a story about a, a nobody named Kimball. Edward Kimball was concerned about one of his young Sunday school students who worked at a shoe store in town. One day, Kimball visited him at the store and found the student in the back stocking shoes, and he led him to Christ right then and there. His name was Dwight L. Moody, and eventually he left the shoe store to become one of the greatest preachers and evangelists of all times in the 1800s. Moody, whose international speaking took him to the British Isles, preached in a little chapel pastored by a young man with the imposing name of Frederick Brotherton Meyer. In his sermon, Moody told about an emotionally charged story about a Sunday school teacher he had known in Chicago who personally went to every student in his class and led every one of them to Christ. Well, that message changed Pastor Meyer's entire ministry, inspiring him to be an evangelist like Moody. Over the years, Meyer came to America several times to preach. Once in Northfield, Massachusetts, a confused young preacher sitting on the back row heard Meyer say, if you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? And that remark led J. Wilbur Chapman to respond to the call of God on his life. And Chapman went on to become one of the most effective evangelists of his time. A volunteer by the name of Billy Sunday helped set up his crusades and learned how to preach by watching Chapman. Billy Sunday eventually took over Chapman's ministry, becoming one of the, the most dynamic evangelists of the early 20th century. And in the great arenas of the nation, Billy Sunday's preaching turned thousands of people to Christ. And then inspired by a 1924 Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, A committee of Christians there dedicated themselves to reaching that city for Christ. The committee invited the evangelist Mordecai Ham to hold a series of evangelistic meetings in 1932. And a lanky 16-year-old sat in the huge crowd one evening, spellbound by the message of the white-haired preacher, who seemed to be shouting and waving his lone finger at him. Night after night, the teenager attended and went, finally went forward to give his life to Christ. That teenager's name, Billy Graham, the man who has undoubtedly communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ to more people than any other man in history. That story started off with a nobody named Kimball who was teaching a Sunday school class and wanted the boys in his class to know Jesus. Never heard of him other than through this story. And again... We are nobodies like Kimball or the cobbler of Corinth. But does that mean we have any less part in God's grand plan? God's message moves from each of us to one another. And we have the opportunities to extend that. And yes, not all of us are going to be up here. Not not many of us want to even be up here. Yet still, God wants to use us with our gifts, with our passions to have an impact in this world. What is it that God would use you for? 
What is the call that God has on your life? The first one is certainly to know that he loves you and that you matter to him. That Jesus came and lived and talked about the kingdom of God and died on your behalf taking the penalty of sin for you, that your selfishness and your sin that separated you from God was paid for. He took that price by dying, but then calls you to live this out with who you are. He made you who you are. He gave you the, the, the personality and the skills. And how do you live that out? What is this call for you? A challenge for each of us to think about. As I, as I live my life, as I think through the things that I do during the days and during the week, God, what are you calling me? Who are you calling me to today? And may that be all of ours. It's not going to be the same people. It's not going to be in the same way because you're not me and I'm not you. That's a good thing. And seeing how this beautiful tapestry of God's people comes together and does his work, that's the gospel. That's the gospel advancing and going forward throughout this community, this state, this country, and the world, which has always been God's plan, that all nations might come to know God's terrific love for them. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, this morning we come to you and again, thank you for the model that you give us in your word of of the hardships that happen sometimes in living the faith out. And yet, through it all, in hard things and difficult things, you continue to do a work. Lord, give us faith and hope and the circumstances we find ourselves, to know that no matter what is going on, no matter even the failures that we've had in the past, today we can see you and grasp hold of you. That's your rescue. That salvation is available for us. Thank you for that. And thank you that as you've saved us, you also want to use us to help others to see your beautiful care for them. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing around us. And may we be part of this great plan of yours of telling people that Jesus loves us. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.